broadcasting from Moscow, Idaho. This is the Campus Preacher Podcast. I'm your host, Keith Darrell. This is episode 75, QAnon and Inaugural Idolatry. Welcome, everybody, to the Campus Preacher Podcast, a podcast designed to encourage and equip you in the work of evangelism. I'm your host, Keith Darrell, and it's been a minute, uh, the end of 2020. For many people, it was the beginning, or I guess maybe the middle months of 2020. Mine got bumpy towards the end, so I was not able to crank out a couple podcasts. And then um, when I was back able to, I actually didn't have any equipment with me for about three weeks when I was traveling. And then last week, I actually went to go make a podcast because I was back in Moscow. And it's kind of funny. It's kind of like playing basketball. You haven't done it for a while and you just can't shoot. So I just couldn't get into a flow of talking. So I waited until this week. And fortunately, uh, there was plenty to talk about. But I'm going to commit myself this year to making, trying to make these a tight 15 minutes. That was always the, uh, kind of the goal when I started this. The next thing you know, you start talking. And then you're at 22 minutes, 25 minutes, 30 minutes. But I'm going to try to keep these tight and 30 minutes. Um, but before we get into the podcast, uh, we are on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network, flfnetwork.com. And if you go over there, you can sign, become a club member. And we do have a conference coming up at the end of April in, I think it's Rapid Cities, South Dakota, which is actually a great area near the Black Hills. And you have, uh, not Stonehenge, but what's the uh, the one with the presence, Mount Rushmore, as well as Spearfish in that area. So it's a really, really beautiful area. So if you have vacation time, you have the ability, I think it's called a rally of some sorts, but we're going to be meeting in South Dakota at the end of April and early May, and that should be uh, pretty phenomenal. So I look forward to getting out there and seeing some more of you at that time. And what I'm going to talk about today, so a few weeks ago, I wanted to do one, and I'll probably do this next week, is going into Christmas. I think the idea of Matthew chapter 1 and in Luke when they discuss the virgin birth if you are to hop back to Isaiah chapter 7, kind of the proof text in Matthew 1 for the virgin birth, you're like, does this work as a proof text for that? So I want to do a podcast on that because it's kind of apologetic oriented. It's kind of related to our hermeneutics and biblical text and that sort of stuff. And that's the sort of objection I'll sometimes hear on a college campus, particularly from Jewish students. And that's usually kind of an East Coast phenomenon. I don't feel like I bump into too many Jewish students out West, sometimes in Southern California, but in general, it's more of a uh, New England phenomenon for whatever reason. But uh, I'll discuss that next week. But this week, what I want to talk about coming hot on the heels of (laughs) what they are calling an insurrection, maybe the weakest insurrection in history, um, but it just kind of shows where the political power is at um, when you consider the way that event is responded to compared to the previous, say, what, seven months of few billion dollars worth of damage and buildings being burnt down and 25 deaths and everything else. uh, But this one, you have a lot of emotional response, which just kind of shows the tide and the culture on where we're at. And I think as Christians, how do we navigate these waters? And as people trying to do evangelism and trying to reach our neighbor, how do we navigate some crazy waters? And so what I want to do first, and hopefully this will make sense, is try to give us a little bit of context of where we are. We have to realize that the Basically, the cultural narrative has changed. As Christians, you know, you may have heard the term post-Christian or whatever it is. We, we really have to realize that we do not have institutional power and institutional control. So we don't control the universities. We don't control the government. Uh, we barely control any—I'd say we don't control mainline churches. Um, for the for the reality of it is, the evangelicals, uh, we, we make up a, a segment of the population— 
but we don't control the cultural narrative. And if anything, the cultural narrative is uh, kind of imposed upon us. And so anything that happens, the evangelicals, white evangelicals, and you just kind of hear the way people talk about that. And you have certain people in the media, or not necessarily the media, but just uh, Christians like a guy named David French. I guess he's a media figure. And he'll want to, you know, he really wants to play up the yes idea that this was a Christian insurrection taking place in um, Washington, D.C., and the same with uh, Dr. Moore at Southern Baptist Seminary, and I think he's the president of the ERLCA, I believe it is. And so the, these guys talk about this thing as being a Christian insurrection, and so you have a lot of this stuff, and there's just, you know, how do we navigate this mess? And I guess the first thing I want to talk about is, is realizing uh, a couple things that we, in having a change in the guard, we've had a change of the cultural narrative. And so even when I consider, say, the prayer of the amen, all women, Thing a week ago, and a lot of people made a big deal out of that. That was actually the least uh, heretical thing in that prayer. Um, it was kind of everything else in there. And then also, when I consider the benediction today at um, Biden's inauguration, uh, you you just kind of get a sense that they're, uh, yeah, you were just way off target. So what I want to talk about in this is I'm going to brush on a guy named John Dewey, who wrote a book called A Common Faith. And what we have to realize is that as America becomes more and more democratic and everything becomes democracy and our democracy, we have to realize that the, the undertones of all that and the import of all that is a radically probably different definition that we as Christians would go about. And then from there, as the definition of democracy, say, has changed, becomes more Deweyan, I suppose is the word, um, in nature, uh, concepts of faith, concept of God, concept of religion or spirituality. It's going to kind of be religious slash spirituality. All those things are going to change. And so we have to realize what's going on. And in response to the left, we don't want to buy into right-wing paganism. And in a sense, that's obvious. But what I want to suggest is that there are strands on the right that just as the left is appropriating Christian language, so there are people on the right appropriating Christian language. And neither of these are actually Christian. And it's not so I can be some third-way guy. There's nothing that's almost more annoying than me than the right doesn't get it, the left doesn't get it, and we're just like Goldilocks in the middle type of thing. I don't want to do that. But the first thing I want to read is a section from John Dewey. And if you've listened to this podcast before, I've mentioned it at least uh, one other time. But here's what Dewey says regarding supernatural Christianity. One of the things that democracies is going to emphasize is the idea of basically the common humanity, our common—we won't use the word brotherhood anymore because you know, that's kind of not politically correct, but our common humanity. So oftentimes, even when people use the term humanity, it's actually kind of humanistic and kind of almost like Unitarian Universalist language um, to, to kind of give us this common brotherhood. And as Christians, we kind of have this idea that everybody's made in the image of God, so it's going to be close. It's going to kind of kind of sound familiar, um, but here's the import. I think John Dewey gets it. He says this. It is impossible to ignore the fact that historic Christianity has been committed to a separation of sheep and goats, the saved and the lost, the elect and the mass. And so for, for Dewey, this distinction between the sheep and the goats would show that we don't all have a common brotherhood. So if we're all brothers, how do you have some who are sheep? How do you have some that are goats? If you have some people who are saved and some people are lost, are we still in this common humanity or do you have some distinct humanity from other distinct humanity. So if you go back to the Old Testament and you were a Jew, you were distinct and separate from the nations. And obviously there was a sense in which the nations, say an Egyptian um, or a Gentile could have come in and to some extent assimilated into Judaism, but they were never fully Jewish 
in the same capacity um, in, in certain senses of that word. Uh, so I'm being a little reductionistic. But for Dewey, he understood that as long as you have these categories of saved and lost, you're going to have a distinction between humanity and you're no longer going to have our common brotherhood. Then he goes on to say, spiritual arist aristocracy, as well as laissez-faire with respect to natural and human intervention, is deeply embedded in its tra tradition. Lip service, this is important, lip service, often more than lip service, has been given to the idea of the common brotherhood of all men. But those outside the fold of the church and those who do not rely upon belief in the supernatural have been regarded as only potential brothers, still requiring adoption into the family. I cannot understand how any realization of the democratic ideal as a vital, moral, and spiritual ideal in human affairs is possible without surrender of the conception of the basic division to which supernatural Christianity is committed. Whether or no we are, save in some metaphorical sense, all brothers, we are at least all in the same boat traversing the same turbulent ocean. The potential religious significance of this fact is infinite. And so the basic idea of what Dewey is driving at there is as long as there is supernatural Christianity that ends in history with the separation of sheep and goats, we will not have a common humanity here, and Christianity will buck up against the democratic ideal. Now, the subtle irony of all of this is as long as we Christians keep our religious beliefs and we insist on Christianity, we are kind of on the outside of the democratic ideal. And being on the outside of the democratic ideal, we're kind of a goat in their system. So if you listen to him carefully, he wants to eradicate this binary, but in giving us this binary, he's going to make a distinction between the religious and religion you're still back at a binary. So, so th these binary categories are just inescapable. And that's what we're seeing. I don't want to get too far afield on all this whataboutism. We, we have these categories that we have to live in. Someone's going to speak for sovereignty. It's either going to be humanity. It's going to be the state. It's going to be God. It's going to be Allah. It's going to be Brahma. Something is going to be sovereign. The, the question is what? And so any system you look at, you can find that point of sovereignty. And then if you complain about someone's point of sovereignty, they can be like, well, what about your point of sovereignty? And that's kind of why... I feel like much debate is superfluous. And so the right, quote-unquote, riots, the left, quote-unquote, riots, and then it's just a giant game of, well, you do it, you do it, you do it, you do it. And then what I learned from the communists in college is every system justifies violence at some point, and the question becomes, what are those points and why? So anyway, there's a lot going on there. But I'm at 10 minutes already. Uh, what I want to talk about ever so briefly is, first of all, the QAnon phenomena. Uh, I have not delved into it, but in looking at what took place in Washington, D.C. a couple weeks ago, a week and a half ago, I guess two weeks ago, or was it last Wednesday, whatever it was. Um, and a friend of mine, she grew up, uh, she was born in the Ukraine under communist rule, came to the United States in like 89, I believe is when her family came here. And so I really respect her judgment and her opinion because she is against the left. She's against being woke because she sees the destruction of what it practically does in the real world and what atheism and humanism does in the real world, the real destruction it costs. It's not an abstract book they read, but they had to flee to a country to get free from it. Um, but at the same time, she's thoroughly Christian. And when I look at the events in D.C., there might be certain strands of political goals I could affirm in very broad categories. Um, but on the flip side, it doesn't mean I affirm their methodology, nor does that mean I affirm their basic underpinnings of why they're doing what they're doing, and I think that's important. So I'm going to read a text she sent me so that we can have – So, and I just think what she says is pretty important. She says this, so someone included me on an email link 
of some group, and I just dove into the Q phenom, and I am disoriented. I was cracking up reading it until I realized that I might get arrested in the future and maybe get sent to Siberia. I've been praying for revival for a very long time, but what's interesting about the Q people is that a lot of them are praying and fasting that Trump would become president and are ready to do whatever Trump tells them to do. It's like he is a messiah or something. I've never seen such devotion before. Part of me is wondering if God is going to decimate Trump and all of these fall believers with him and will, being the church, also all take the heat with him. A giant cleansing of the church, so to speak. But I do agree that there is serious judgment in this nation. And yet, I've been praying for God's mercy because there are no other places that have so many resources for Christians and really heavy persecution doesn't mean that the church will come out holier. There were so many problems with the Russian church because all the leaders were jailed and the church was basically like the book of, during the book of Judges, doing whatever people thought was right in their own eyes. And I think that's a healthy and a good perspective in looking at some of what is taking place on the right regarding political activism. Um, and we don't want to fall into those errors. We're Christians. We're not revolutionaries. Uh, we don't believe in violent insurrections. Um, and you know, we over we conquered the Roman Empire by laying down our lives for our enemies. And so, I do think watching some of those events, even if I don't totally disagree with some, and I, I can't say I know all the political goals behind it, um, even if I don't disagree with all those, uh, we have to consider methodology, and we have to consider what's being said and what's being done and why those things are being done. And just because people bring up the name of Jesus, just because they bring up God, and just because you know they talk about the nation or whatever it may be, does not mean it's actually godly. And that ties in directly with um, the gentleman Cleaver, who prayed last week with the all men, all women. And I, I do think it's a little bit funny that I think he did that on Monday, um, praying in the Capitol building, all men, all women, which was actually the least of the errors. He actually says it, we ask it in the name of the monotheistic god Brahma and God known by many names, by many, many different faiths. So he's standing in there with this idolatrous prayer. And that's all it was. It was plain and simple. It was idolatry. And the all men, all woman is part of that humanistic, democratic ideal idolatry. And I do think it's funny that he does that. And a couple of days later, you have some sort of, you know, Q shaman, whatever that guy was with the bullhorns and everything else in there, um, kind of you know, standing there as a false god, so to speak, or representing false gods in in that uh, uh, the, the Senate chamber. So it's all pretty fascinating and a kind of mind-boggling to me. Uh, but then it got worse today, and it's just so interesting because one of the great sins you can commit in our culture is cultural appropriation. And one thing we as Christians have to realize is that the democratic ideal and democracy is appropriating everything from our faith. And being in a Christian context, they're going to make it sound as close as possible. So in the benediction today by a guy named Reverend Beeman, um, I'm not going to read through the whole thing, but one of the things that's is just kind of the uh, resounding gong through it is he talks about God, and actually, let me ever so briefly, briefly pause and read this by a guy named uh, Dale McGowan, and he's talking about John Dewey and how John Dewey redefines God for humanists and atheists, and he mentions the Unitarian Universalists in this brief article, but he says, but Dewey went even further than most Unitarian Universalists would when he said to keep using the word God, but mean something else. Not a supernatural, supernatural being, but community, ideals, whatever it was that made people want to strive to be their best. That, he said, is God. So, so in the context of God, in our secular democracy, people can still use that term, and they're putting forth things like community. They're putting forth democratic ideals. They're putting forth all these other things 
other than a personal creator being who became incarnate through the person of Jesus Christ. And so you have to keep that in mind as you listen. You might get frustrated, like, oh, that's not what they mean, but, but uh, or that's not what we mean when they say God, and even if they talk about Jesus, all these things are going to be gutted of their meaning and stuffed with new things. And I was watching this video by Francis Schaeffer the other day, and what he says is you don't need a conspiracy for these things. All you need is the practical outworking of humanism. And I think that's kind of where we're at. So you don't need this grand conspiracy, uh, aside from perhaps there's Satan behind it. Uh, but what you need is a embedded humanism in people's psyche, and then this is kind of the outflow of that. So anyway, through this Reverend Bierman's um, benediction, oftentimes we'll just say, he's referring to quote-unquote God here, he says, we need you, for in you we discover our common humanity. In our common humanity, we will seek out the, the wounded, etc. Then he says, in discovering our common humanity, you, O oh God, we discover our humanity. In our humanity, we discover our commonness, beyond the difference of color, creed, origin, political party, ideology, and personal preferences. Um, then he refers to the grounds there as hollowed grounds and stuff like that. From every human being, regardless of their choices, that is our uh, country as such, let, lest we miss the kingdom's goal. But we, we don't really know. But, but even Dewey would be comfortable to talk about the kingdom of God and that teachers would be their prophets and stuff like that. So, so Dewey's comfortable using kingdom language, lest we miss the kingdom's goal. Well, what is the kingdom's goal? You know, and Paul says, whether we eat or drink, do it all to the glory of God. And is this really to the glory of God, or is it to our common humanity? I think it's much more to our common humanity. And he kind of demonstrates that by this. And uh, we ask all this, um, we ask all this in the strong name of our collective faith, whatever whatever that is. But that's what's kind of being laid out here. And so our culture, from Q on down to Beerman and uh, Cleaver. Uh, who are praying up to Joe Biden, Kamala, and all that sort of stuff. Because Kamala, in one breath, will be talking about her Hindu roots, and she'll talk about um, Kwanzaa. Then uh, I haven't heard her work in any Christian references, but Biden definitely will. And so we are in a thoroughly idolatrous culture, and the way out is not voting. Uh, whether you think Trump needs to be in office or was duly elected, um, he can't get us out of this mess. He himself is an idolater. And America's fundamental problem is we are no worshiping, no longer worshiping the living God. Romans 1 really is true. And that's not something we just throw out because we're mad politically. Um, it, it, I think it's just a simple reality of where we're at. And the way we get out of it is not primarily by voting. I think it's fine to vote. But I think it's a little bit of the picture of Acts chapter 2, when they um, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, uh, to prayer and meeting each other's needs. And so wherever you live in this country, I live in Moscow, Idaho, I need to devote myself to the local church here. And in contrast to Dewey and American spirituality or religious uh, desires, uh, we want a religion. We have an institution, we have elders, we have sacraments, we have a creed, we have a confession, and all those things matter. And when the world says, despite creed, no, we're saying creed matters. We're saying institutions matter. We're saying organized religion matters. And we have elders, and we have sacraments, and we have in and we have out, um, and we're inviting you in, uh, but you're on the outs. And we need, I think, more than ever to make that clear. And as we make that clear, we're going to be on the outside of their democratic ideal. We're going to be on the outside of democracy. But we will be drawing people in, and we will conquer the Roman Empire. We'll conquer the American Empire. We will conquer democracy and secular humanism and all that stuff uh, by laying down our lives. And so as you might be anxious about the election. You might be anxious about the next four years. What do you want to do? Go to church Sunday, talk to your elders, look at the people at your church, ask if they'll meet to pray, ask if they'll meet to meet to study the Bible, and then to begin to 
meet each other's needs. And maybe you have to move. I wouldn't encourage you to move to Moscow. I think it's a great place to live. I live here now. But move, live with people who are going to love the Lord, who are going to serve the Lord. And then as a fruit of that, begin to invite unbelievers in. Uh, campus for me has been dead, so I've not been preaching. I only got out three weeks um, in the fall semester. But in getting uh, in getting out, be it last year or this year, more and more people I talk to, they do not have community. And their ideas are coming from the right and the left, from Twitter, from YouTube, from Reddit, <coughs> and things like that. So what? anyway, what we need to do is more than ever— double down on being Christians and the simplicity of that Christian faith. Study, show yourself approved, understand what the gospel is, give people a reason for the hope that we have, and be prepared to lay down our life uh, for our neighbors. Because idolatry abounds, and what we have to do is point people back to the living God and know how to fill all the things we're seeking the gut of meaning, faith, love, joy, peace, all those things are trying to gut of meaning, and we have to be able to fill it with thoroughly biblical content. And so by the grace of God, over the next year, um, I will be dedicated to doing that, hopefully only 15 minutes, I'm at 20 minutes, hopefully only 15 minutes a week, I'll be dedicated to doing that and laying out those sorts of things so you guys can hopefully hear this and then go out, talk to your friends and neighbors and unbelievers and invite them into the kingdom because America is in the process of crumbling and the next few years, if you know Biden and the Democrats have their way, We'll look bleak for the Christian, but we got to be joyful and hopeful in the process as we preach the gospel and share the gospel. And the last thing we need to become are just people who run around owning liberals and saying, you're a hypocrite and you're intolerant and all that sort of stuff. Uh, We need a thoroughgoing gospel that learns to adjust and have wisdom and love and serve our enemies and not deal with them as their sins deserve, just as God has dealt with has not dealt with us as our sins deserve. So that's this episode of the Campus Reach Podcast. I may the Lord bless you, keep you. If you have any questions, comments, demands, rebukes, exhortations, feel free to reach out to me, Keith at campuspreacher.com, Campus Evangel on the Twitter, and Campus Preacher on Instagram. And I'm currently off of Facebook, but I'll be back on this soon. So talk to you next week. Hoping and hope that he might see it grow. Knowing that the harvest might well come before the bloom. He runs on his way, there's no time to be.